Man, this morning I'm going to continue <clears throat> the series as such that I started last week. And the whole point of this is when I met Jesus. I started with this, when I met Jesus and dot, 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 and left you to fill in the blank. And I know we had posted that on Facebook and other stuff. And so, just one thing, let me encourage you. Please interact with as much stuff that we forward on Facebook and other social media. Please make sure you look and interact with what's, what's on the church Facebook page too. But the whole point of this is when I met Jesus... And we talked about the blind man last, last, uh, last Sunday. We talked about the blind man that when he met Jesus, Jesus met his need. But in order to receive that miracle as such, he had to do something. He had to do something and that thought has been in my mind. I've been meditating on that for a while but... You've got to realize Jesus just didn't speak to him. He did that several other places. But most often, what Jesus made them do is go do something. He spat on the ground, took that dirt, put it on his eyes. And he says, now you go dip in that pool of Siloam and then you will see. And this man had to go, this blind man had to go and dip in that water there. And after he had done that, his sight was restored. The point is, there was nothing magical about the dirt, the spit, or the water. There was nothing magical about that. The miracle, he received his miracle because he was willing to obey what God told him to do. And I want us, and I want to challenge us. If you are stuck, and I say this because this is what I really feel burdened for. If you feel stuck, if you feel like there is that breakthrough you've been waiting for and waiting for and waiting for but is not coming. I want to challenge you to wait on God. Number one, don't ever try and do something on your, on your own. Don't try and knock down a door that God has closed. Wait on God. But as you wait Be willing to obey what he says to you. Be willing to obey what he says to you. This morning I want to talk about another character in the Bible. When I'm a Jesus and I want to talk about a tax collector. And we know two tax collectors in the Bible. The first one was Matthew and Jesus was walking around. And as he was walking around looking for people basically. Looking for his disciples and he sees Matthew. And where's Matthew? Collecting taxes. And he just tells Matthew a simple thing. Hey, just get up and follow me. And Matthew just leaves everything and follows him. This morning I want to talk about the second guy. And it's a familiar story. It's the tax collector Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus or Zacchaeus. I don't know how you all say it. But in the Greek it is Zacchaeus. I don't know. It doesn't matter. Luke chapter 19, turn with me to Luke chapter 19. We're going to read the first 10 verses that talk about, tell us his story. It is absolutely amazing. I was just trying to figure out 
There are so many stories, so many people who can stand up and say, when I met Jesus and tell their own story. It's absolutely amazing. Verse 19, it says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name Zacchaeus. He was a chief. Okay, remember this. He's not just a tax collector. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him. Since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached that spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter or grumble. He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. What an amazing story and I'm sure most of you will agree as we look at Zacchaeus' story, most of us will agree that one of the deepest needs in our hearts as such, one of our deepest desires in life as human beings is the feeling of security. Not just security, it's the whole idea that I am worth something, that I am worth Something and I, you realize and you notice and you come across people who kind of live their lives just wandering around without any significance, feeling so insignificant and so, so not worth anything at all. And you find them in the Bible, people just living their lives, not just living, existing. But... When they met Jesus, something happened. When they met Jesus, something happened. And you see, when they met Jesus, he showed them what they were really worth. And the story of Zacchaeus as such is just a great example that shows us how much God cares for everyone. How much God cares for us. Why does God love us so much? Because we are worth it. Why does God love you or love me so much? Because he knows you are worth it. I am worth it. I don't deserve it. But I am worth it. Whether we realize it or not. And this is just. This is just a fact of life. Whether we realize it, whether we do it consciously or unconsciously or subconsciously, whatever. We always evaluate and compare ourselves. That's how we find our worth, like it or not. Even as Christians, yeah? 
we find people in the church who make us feel better about ourselves and then we look at some other people and they make us feel like oh we're nobody we do that natural instinct teaches us to evaluate our lives we either feel good or we feel miserable but the problem is we look in at others the truth is this again very often we evaluate our lives more according to what people say rather than what the word says and that's just it and that it's a flawed system it is flawed because you will always again you will always find that person who'll make you feel good because you're not as bad a sinner as him and then you'll find that other person and you'll say i'm not a saint like him and feel miserable about yourself the truth is we've got to know more and more what god says about us been having a conversation with person this past few weeks and the challenge is this finding our identity in knowing him you know not just about knowing who we are our identity is found as we pursue him as we know him and that's a thought that i haven't paid much attention to but i've been meditating on that the past few weeks as i've been talking and ministering to someone as we know him we find our own identity and so let's seek to pursue god sorry that was just a side note but let's seek to find our identity as we pursue him anyway before we start on the story four things that i want to look at even as we talk about zacchaeus as such four things how the world puts worth on or what the world puts worth on number 1 the first thing is outward appearance it's all about how i look A lot of people think that if I look good I must be good. If I look good I must be good. If I don't look good I must not be worth anything. I must not be valuable and we have a whole group of people who emphasize that these celebrities and Hollywood and all these things that's all it's all about is appearances outward appearances and when we have and we think when we look good we are worth it. if your heart your heart right if you're not hard sucks for you yeah. i know a lot of people who spend so much time trying to get you know every strand of hair fixed right it's funny to see aiden sometimes he got him a, a a funky looking comb from india and he just loves that comb he doesn't use anything else and so he tries to i mean i don't know what the I don't know what he gets from it but he just stays there and tries to get it right with that comb. I think he's trying to figure out how to use it more than anything else. But somehow the world says if I dress right, if I wear the right shoes, if I wear, you know, wear the right clothes, drive the right car, whatever it is, their value is wrapped up in their appearance. Their value is wrapped up in the way they look. again if you're like super attractive as such and we push this idea of what looks good i mean the world just tells us that and that's how they get their worth and the number of people that struggle with finding worth just because their appearance is off there are a number of people who struggle with that second thing the second way the world evaluates worth is by wealth 
or how much you have. How much do I own? Materialism, I guess. If I've got a lot of things, therefore I must be worth a lot too. If I have a lot of valuables, I must be valuable. If I'm poor and broke, I must not be worth anything. We as a church need to be careful. You know, Paul talks about it sometimes too. Not to judge and give a person worth based on what he has in terms of valuables. I've said this many times. You're never connect your self-worth with your net worth. Never connect your self-worth with your net worth. Someone else said your valuable, your value and your valuables have nothing to do with each other. Your value and your valuables have nothing to do with each other. Truth, the truth is this. The greatest things have nothing to do with things really. The greatest things have nothing to do with things itself. But the world tells us if you have a big fat bank account, drive a fancy car, wear designer stuff, you've got a lot of value. Therefore, we have to listen to you. The third way we, you know, the third thing we do or the world does to judge worth is this. It's all based on achievements. It's all based on what I have accomplished. If I have so many, after I write my name, and it's not a bad thing. You write your name and then you have all these degrees written up to the end of the page sometimes. Therefore, I am worth much because see what I have achieved. See what I have accomplished. And we find or the world finds its worth based solely on that feeling of accomplishment. Because when I've accomplished something, and this is not a bad thing really. There is satisfaction in accomplishing and fulfilling something. But if you find your worth solely on what you do or you do not do what you've accomplished and not accomplished, that's not a healthy way of looking at yourself. But the world derives its worth based on what we have achieved. And that's why the whole word workaholics sometimes, that's what it's all about. It's not because they like to work so much. It's like they like the feeling they have when they achieve and accomplish. And that's all they do. And the point is, you struggle with that. They struggle with that because very often, as soon as they finish with one, they're looking for something else. They keep looking. They keep grasping for things that are almost out of hand. And they keep going. The problem is when they fail to achieve that, their world comes crashing down. And so don't draw like the world. Don't draw your worth solely on your achievements or your accomplishments. And then the last one, like I said, it's based, the world bases worth on approval. How much people like me. If people like me, I must be good. And they spend, this is not just the world. A lot of us in the church find our worth by making people happy. Now that's not a bad thing. You don't want to make people mad at you. But when you are a people pleaser because your sole purpose is, I don't want them to be mad at me. I don't want, I just want to be popular. There's a problem with that. Approval. (laughs) Approval. I don't want to, I don't want to have people mad at me. But when everybody approves, when everybody accepts, when everybody thinks I'm really cool as such, that's when I feel worth it. But that's not the way. The Bible talks about it at all. 
And the truth is this. I mean, it's pretty silly because you make A happy, B is mad. You make A and B happy, C is going to be mad. You make A, B, and C happy, guess what? There's always going to be another person out there to be mad at you. So don't play that game. Quit playing that game. My happiness and my worth do not depend whether people approve. I'm not saying live a crazy life, but whether people approve or not. Build, please, rather, let me say this way. Please do not build your worth on the opinions of what people say or do. Please don't do that. Because honestly, it's ridiculous. You will never win that game. You'll be running and running and running and running. And you will get tired and burnt out. You've got to build. Learn to trust what God says about you. Not what other people say about you. And the truth is this. You want to feel good about yourselves. Read the word. Read the word. And this book, if you want to call it that, will tell you how much you're worth. How much you really are worth. You've got to really look to the word. Anyway, let's get to this story. When I met Jesus, what would Zacchaeus say? Let me say, sorry, the start. You got to build your worth. I mean, let me say this. A healthy way to build your worth is when you realize how much you really matter to God. And then when you realize you matter to him so much that he sent his son, if you were the only person, he would still send his son. That's how much you matter to him. Amen. Now build your life on that truth. Zacchaeus, when I met Jesus, it was a real meeting and he transformed my life. Look at 19 and we look through several verses there. First thing we know about Zacchaeus, first of all, we know he was a short person. That's what the Bible makes sure to tell us that. He was a short guy because, you know, he couldn't see above the crowd. And so what he did, he ran, went up on a tree just to look over the, cl- uh, the crowd. And I can picture him being, growing up, he's from around there. Growing up, people always made fun of him because of his height, you know. And you get picked on, you get called names and whatever it is. So he really didn't have, in that sense, he wasn't tall. But the second thing you hear, uh, you learn about Zacchaeus, he was, he was a tax collector. Not just a tax collector, he was the chief tax collector. If you had approval ratings, it was way down, down when it came to approval ratings as such. Tax collectors were never popular, they still are never popular, right? The tax person is not a popular person. In fact, I think for Zacchaeus, this was his way of getting back to the people or at the people who gave him a hard time growing up. Because now he's got the power, he's got the influence, he can do whatever he wants to do now and get even with these people. You've got to understand the Roman tax system was, they wanted, let's just say, they wanted one dollar from the people. But the tax collector had the freedom to take however much he wanted to as long as he paid the Romans one dollar. And that's exactly what he did. So he is not popular at all. Not popular at all. He would extort basically legally because nobody could do anything to him because he had the power. So everybody hated him. Everybody hated him. And the other reason is because he, as a Jew, is working for the Romans. He's a symbol of all this oppression that they were for Israel. And so everybody hated Zacchaeus, 
because of that. The chief tax collector. And I can easily imagine Jesus has come in and he's trying to get in there. And no one's paying attention to him at all. He's trying to get to look at Jesus. No one's paying attention. So what does he do? He runs ahead. Okay, Jesus is walking down this way. I'm going to run ahead, find this fig tree, a sycamore tree, climb up and sit down there. And wait for Jesus. And I can sense, even though, and we can sense in the Bible, even though Zacchaeus had all this wealth, he wasn't really happy. There was something in his heart that was lacking. And it's that emptiness that drove him to climb a tree. Because no one would really do that. Again, think about it. No one would go running. First of all, a well-respected man. How many kings or these noblemen do you see running? They take their time so that everybody notices them. So he does something totally different. And he would never climb a tree. He'd make someone else climb the tree if he wanted to pick any fruit. But he does two things totally bizarre because he wants to see Jesus. Because I can imagine his life as lonely, unhappy, pretty miserable. And then Jesus comes by. Jesus shows up. He's walking the streets and he comes to the tree, stops there and says, Zacchaeus, come on down. I want to have dinner at your house today. And I can picture the face, Zacchaeus' face in my mind. I can picture the shock, the surprise when Jesus stops and calls him. I mean, you can picture him before that. He's running, trying to get away from people who are making fun of him. And now he's really, you know what? Jesus is coming to my house. Guess what? In your face, people. But it was more than just that that was happening in his life. Zacchaeus mattered to Jesus. The first thing, anyway, let's go. When I met Jesus, the first thing you realize about Zacchaeus' story is this. That Jesus noticed him. Jesus noticed me. When I met Jesus, Jesus noticed me. No matter how small I was physically, no matter how insignificant I was to the people around me, no matter how much they mocked me or made fun of me or hated me, Jesus noticed me. Jesus noticed me. And it's not that he just gave him a glimpse, you know, okay, hey, kind of nod his head. No. He really noticed because he stopped and talked to me. He runs ahead of the crowd, climbs into a tree just to get a glimpse of Jesus. And I think part of it is to hide from people too. But Jesus noticed him. If you thought his behavior was weird, Jesus takes weirdness to another level because he stops to talk to the most despised person in town. He noticed him. He notices him. In a packed crowd, he notices him. I don't think, I really don't think he is the only person who was in the tree. I really don't. Because I can picture kids running up and climbing into the trees and looking down too at Jesus. In a crowd, Jesus picked him out. When I met Jesus, he noticed me. And you can kind of, again, picture or imagine his heart racing. Because all his life he had been overlooked. Looked over too. I don't know. Because he was short. All his life people had passed him by. But Jesus stopped because he mattered to Jesus. Jesus noticed him. Jesus noticed him in a tree. 
I don't know if you are stuck in a tree somewhere. But Jesus notices you, even though you're trying to hide sometimes. Jesus notices you. He is paying attention to you. He is and always will pay attention to you. His eye is on you because he knew you right from when you were in your mother's womb. He knit you together in your mother's womb, he says. He notices you because you matter to him. He will never stop looking over you. He will never stop. He will never stop looking and noticing you. Right from when you took your first breath, that first cream of light, he noticed you. When you went through your good, bad, and ugly days, he notices you. The times when you felt like you were all alone, he notices you. The times when you felt like nobody else cares, he notices you. His eyes are always on you. The psalmist says, you, your eyes were on, were on what? My unformed body. His eyes are always Always on you, no matter how small, how insignificant, Jesus notices. Even though the world might not see the hurt you are in, Jesus knows because he notices you. People may forget you, but Jesus will never forget you because he notices you. The Bible says if his eyes are on the sparrow, Luke 12, if his eyes are on the sparrow, how much more does he notice me, right? You matter To Jesus. When I'm at Jesus, he notices me because I matter to him. I am worth it. I am worth it. You think about just from a total secular sense, if you talk to psychologists and you study anything to do with counseling and everything else, they'll tell you one of the best gifts you can give to your kids is attention. And we've got Jesus' attention. No matter what we do, no matter what we say, we've got his attention. His eyes are always on us. He notices us because we are worth it. Because we are worth it. If Zacchaeus were here today, he would say, when I met Jesus, I was just sitting in a tree away from the crazy crowd, just wanting to catch a glimpse of him. But he stopped and noticed me. I felt small and significant and felt like nobody even cared about me. But Jesus noticed me. The second truth is this. When I met Jesus, what would Zacchaeus say? Normally people ignored me and despised me, but Jesus knew my name. He just didn't notice me. He knew my name. One and one purpose only. He wanted a real, authentic relationship with me. I'll touch on this again in the next, as we go on. But think about this part. He knows my name out of seven point whatever billion people in this world. He knows my name. And I laughed when I wrote that because he can even pronounce it right. Even the Americans I've given up on. (laughs) He knows my name. 
because I'm worth it. His whole life Zacchaeus has been made fun of, ridiculed, rejected. Because of his dishonesty, he's been corrupt. A tax collector, not just a tax collector, the chief tax collector. That means he made a lot of money at the expense of cheating other people out of their money. You can imagine the gossip and everything else, the abuse that was hurled at him. I can picture, you know how the priest and Levi, they saw this guy and they go on the other side of the road, right? Just because they see someone. I can picture people doing the same exact thing to Zacchaeus. Dude is coming on this side, I'm going to go on the other side of the road. I can see that happening, but here you have the God of all creation. His son calls him by name. He knows my name because he cares for me. Again, imagine the shock. Jesus knows me. When I met Jesus, he knew my name. It blew my mind away. He knew my name. Jesus is not from Jericho. He's from Galilee. But he knew my name. Here's the thing. Jesus knows your name. He knows who you are. He knows where you are. You may be trying to hide in the tree. He knows who you are. He knows where you are. Quit pretending to be somebody else because he knows you. Just the way you are. You don't have to hide in that tree because he knows my name. He knows you inside out. He knows everything about you. He knows the number of hair on your head. He knows everything about you. He's not, please, he's not just a faraway God who, I don't know why we buy into this. We live our own lives because God is far away. He's not even concerned about me. That's a lie. He knows every single thing, every single detail of my name. Zacchaeus, anyone knows what Zacchaeus means? Pure one. I mean, he lived a total contradiction to what his name really was. The last thing Zacchaeus, you know, think about it. In front of everybody, Jesus is calling him out. Hey, pure one. People will think, Jesus, what's wrong with you? That's the corrupt guy. Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, come down. Let's go have dinner together. Pure one, come down. Here's the thing. Very often, we like Zacchaeus are too scared of what Jesus will do with us because we're not good enough for him. So we'd rather hide in a tree away from everybody else rather than allow Jesus to do something with our lives. But he never gives up. He'll never give up. He'll never give up on you. He's going to nag you if you want to call it that. He's going to nag you till you come back and get down from that tree. Zacchaeus, let's hang out. The truth is this. Zacchaeus, for the first time, finds someone who treats him the way he really wants some people to treat him. With worth. That's all he really wanted. Think about it. The reason he got all this money and everything else, because he wanted to feel some worth. And here's Jesus calling him by name, giving him the real worth that he really wanted. Because he knew his name. When I met Jesus, really... I've said this and I've used this phrase before too. 
It didn't matter all the names that people called him. But Jesus knew his name. That's all that mattered at the end of the day. All the other names didn't matter. But Jesus knew his name. If Zacchaeus were here today, it says, when I met Jesus, he already knew my name. And that totally caught me off guard. Because he tells them, come down immediately, he says. Come down immediately. I don't know what happened to Zacchaeus. Did he fall off the tree or did he just slide down all the way with all those things, everything else? I don't know. But he came down at once, the Bible says. Number three, doesn't matter how insignificant I am. doesn't matter if people ignore me. Jesus notices me. Jesus knows my name. And Jesus wants me. It wasn't just, hey, how you doing, Zacchaeus? It is, I want a real lasting relationship with you. Let's go and have dinner together. Jesus just didn't want something here and now. Notice, acknowledge. Jesus doesn't acknowledge you. He wants you. Not just for a moment when you're all emotional and you come before the altar and say the sinner's prayer. That's just the beginning. He wants you all the time. Because he is with you. He wants you to be with him too. Jesus called him down. Come down quickly. Because I want to go be a guest at your house. Jesus knows, and I, I can easily see the sense, I mean, you can, you can know the sense of resentment Zacchaeus had to the, everybody around him. Because they resented him, he resented them too. But all of a sudden, there's one person who comes and sees the potential in him, and he comes down, gladly comes down. Gladly comes down, because Zacchaeus realizes that Jesus sees his worth. Jesus sees what he really is worth many times. Again, let me go back to this real quick here. And we all fall short. We're not as miserable or a big a sinner as Zacchaeus. But we all fall short. We all fall short and need Jesus to have a real relationship with us. We all fall short and need Jesus to have a relationship with us. We hurt ourselves. We hurt others. People hurt us too. But Jesus wants a relationship with us. And this is the best part. If you read, and I've been trying, I mean, I've gone through so many stories of people who had encounters with God. Not once did Jesus ever condemn them. Not once did he ever condemn them. Which blew my mind away because, you know, He never condemned them. Whether it be that woman who was brought to him, caught in adultery, he did not condemn her. Whereas this woman who's sitting there, you know, just weeping and washing his feet with her tears and her hair, he never condemns her. The prodigal son never condemns him. I think too often we as the church have condemned the world rather than love the world and show by our love how much God loves them. When I met Jesus, really, think about it. He brought no condemnation. He brought no condemnation. Not once do you see Jesus condemning, but he challenged them in their sin. 
He challenged them in the scene. There is something about Jesus that kept sinners close to him. And it blows my mind. Something about Jesus that kept sinners close to him. Not because he partook of what they did. But something about him was attractive enough for them to want to be with him. How can we as the church do something different? We cannot be something different. If Zacchaeus were here today, he'd say, when I met Jesus, I realized that he wanted me. He wanted me. Number four, and I love this part. Jesus restored me. Jesus restored me no matter what others said. And you read in that story, people were grumbling because of what Jesus was doing. But Jesus stood up to his defense. He affirmed him. He restored him. Restored what he had given up. People gave up on me because I was essentially a traitor to my own group of people. I sold my birthright as such. And people just gave up on me. But Jesus never gave up on me. He restored me. That's Zacchaeus' story. Jesus goes and he pays attention to, like I said, the biggest sinner in town. The person everybody hated. Let's go grab dinner. And as he's saying this, I can picture it totally messes with all these people's minds out there. And so automatically, the reaction is pretty simple. He says, hey, verse 7, it says, all the people saw this. I'm talking about this interaction between Jesus and Zacchaeus. And they began to grumble. Jesus is having dinner with a sinner. He's hanging out with the wrong crowd. But you see what Jesus says in verse 9. It's kind of amazing. He says, this man too, and I read this in several translations. This man too is a son of Abraham. This man had essentially sold his birthright to join the Romans. People didn't think he was worth it. But Jesus who saw him, he says, what? You know, today I restore you to being, and another translation says, the true son of Abraham. The true son of Abraham. Zacchaeus became a tax collector, betrayed his own. But Jesus restored him to his rightful position as an heir of Abraham. That's what Jesus does to him. It's the story of the prodigal son. The same exact thing. He gave up. He didn't deserve a single thing. He did his own thing. Sold out everything. I mean, he gave up on his his dad and everything else, right? Abused them. Took advantage of them. Cheated them. Yet when he came back, the father did what? Restored him to a position. That's the same thing with Zacchaeus here. Jesus restored him. To being a son of Abraham. Restored him to the position that he was created to be. That he was called to be. The father restored him to that position. And sometimes we self-righteous people don't understand. And this is just, we don't understand the magnitude, the magnitude of God's love for people. We don't understand the magnitude of God's love for people when it comes to restoring a person's dignity and self-worth. Because we think in our minds we deserve it more because I've been a good kid my whole life. Jesus restored Zacchaeus 
Again, does not mean he excused his sin, but he affirmed, defended him in front of those guys who were making, basically grumbling about it. Zacchaeus come down. And it says he came down and he received him gladly, Zacchaeus. I love the message translation. It said actually, Zacchaeus scrambled out of the tree with open heart. Scrambled out of the tree with an open heart. Follow, follow me with this logic here for a minute. With a God who loves you so much, who created you, formed you, knit you together, knows you so well. He loves you so much, it says he's engraved your name in the palm of his hand. He cares so much for you. He wants a relationship with you. What is our reason for not responding to him? What is our, can we really make a valid argument against someone who loves us so much and wants to have a relationship with us? Can we make a logical argument for saying, no, I don't want that? Zacchaeus was here today. He would say, I I exchanged a lot of what was rightfully mine. I traded in my relationship with God as a son of Abraham. I traded that relationship with him, turned my back on him and his people, traded in things of eternal value for something that was temporary, money, fame, or whatever that was. Yes, I had my moments of fun, but it really left me miserable. But when I met Jesus, he restored me. He restored me when I met Jesus. He noticed me. He knew my name. He wants a relationship with me. And he restored me. And the last point is, he changed my life. Radically changed my life when I met him. When I met Jesus, he changed my life. You look at the change in Zacchaeus' life right away. He says, Lord, I will give half my possession to the poor. If I've cheated anyone, I'll give back four times. I'll give back four times what I've taken from them. He says that twice. I'll give. I'll give. How do I know it's a sign of conversion? Because God changed the most selfish person in town to the most generous person in town that day. When I met Jesus, he changed my life. He transformed that. How do I know that? Because once again, if you see what Zacchaeus loved the most didn't matter to him anymore. He didn't care if he was popular. He didn't care if he had all the money. He didn't care if people liked him or didn't like him anymore. Because Jesus was there with him. The change, the things that he loved the most, he gave up willingly. Because Jesus met with him. I met Jesus. When I met Jesus, he transformed my life transformed my life transformed my life the truth is this when we met Jesus we become generous people naturally generous people and I'm not talking and limiting this to money we become generous with our time our talents our treasures when we met Jesus the truth is this You become more and more like Christ himself who gave his life 
gave his life for others. When I met Jesus, and I said this last week, and you'll probably hear me say this many more times. People can challenge and argue whether God is real or whether God exists. They can challenge whether this is just a fairy tale or this is real. They can challenge and argue about evolution or creation, but they can never dispute the evidence of a transformed life. They can never dispute your testimony when you, told, when you tell them, when I met Jesus, he changed my life. They can never argue against that. Is there enough evidence of transformation in your life that comes from a relationship with him? Not just in your words, but in the way you live your life. When I met Jesus, he'd radically changed my life. When I met Jesus, he turned my life, not upside down, but right side up. When I met Jesus, he restored the things that I had lost, the things that I gave up. He restored that relationship that I deliberately walked away from. He restored that relationship with him. When I met Jesus, he put his hand of approval on my life that I no longer live for myself, but I live for him now because I met Jesus. When I met Jesus, I realized that he loved me from before I even knew him. Before I even acknowledged him, he loved me when I met Jesus. Jesus wants a relationship with each one of us. That's just, that's just the truth. No matter how small, how insignificant, no matter what you've done, where you've done, how you've done, whatever. It doesn't matter when you come to Christ. He wants a relationship with you. And that's the story of Zacchaeus. He was the worst dude around in Jericho. But Jesus stopped, noticed him. Jesus will never take his eyes off you. Jesus knew him by name. Knew him by name. There is nothing that Zacchaeus could have done that would have ever stopped God or Jesus from loving him. Jesus restored his, like Jesus wanted that relationship, but Jesus restored his sense of purpose in life too. And Jesus just changed his life and it was evident to everybody around them. Bow your heads with me at this time. When I met Jesus, he stopped by the tree I was standing in, I was sitting in. Looked up, the Bible says he looked up and called out to Zacchaeus. He noticed me. He knew me by name. The God of all creation wants to have a real, authentic relationship with you. And he's never going to give up. You can run, run ahead and hide in a tree. He's never going to give up on you. People will never understand. 
People will despise you. People will make fun of you. People will give up on you. But there is a God who loves you. And there is nothing you can do that will ever stop him from loving you. How so true in Zacchaeus' life. Nothing Zacchaeus did. Nothing Zacchaeus did. would have made Jesus walk by without stopping for him. When I met Jesus, when I met Jesus, he told me I'm worth it. He told me I'm worth it. There will always be people in your life who will tell you you're not worth much. You'll never add up to anything. But in God's economy, no matter what you've done, where you've been, you're always valued the same as always. You're always worth what you originally were worth. All he does is change your perspective to realize that you've not lost it. You are who he created you to be. realized, like I said, I've been talking to someone and just been counseling and and then we watched this on Wednesday night too. When I didn't believe in me, there was a God who believed in me. Who else? Who else would ever think that you are worth it? Besides God who created you. Blew my mind away when I thought about that. In everybody else's eyes, I was not worth much. But God, God who created me, saw worth in me. Saw that potential in me. No matter what. He stands at the door and knocks, the Bible says. All you got to do is open the door and let him in. I want a relationship with you. I want to hang out with you at your house. Basically, he tells Zacchaeus, I'm coming home. You matter. You matter to God. People might forget, people might overlook. That's not the God who I worship though. He looks at me. Even when I try and hide from Him, when I don't think I'm worth it. I don't think I'm good enough for God. He thinks I'm worth it. Church, I don't know how to say it, but it blows my mind away. His love for you is amazing.